things in the world which cause us to be suspicious. Unfamiliar dogs, for instance, right? Don't pet an unfamiliar dog because you never know. Never pet a cat because you never know, but just never pet a cat, period. But those of you like cats, well, I don't know. But don't just pet a random dog because it might snap at you, right? It might be, might be a mean dog. That's what I tell my kids. Oh, doggy, doggy. said, no, 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 hold on. I don't know if it's a nice dog or a mean dog. So, you know, we have to be a little suspicious. We're not sure. So we're suspicious of unfamiliar dogs. We're suspicious of dodgy used car salesman who wants to be our best mate, right? But we're suspicious of Nigerian princes. They're often less legitimate than they might appear. But I think one that everybody's suspicious of in 2019 here in Australia, probably that tops the list, are pastors, ministers who talk about money. In fact, I would guess there are people here in Wyoming, around the Central Coast, whose main objection for attending church, the reason they're not sitting here today, this moment, this hour, is they're afraid that the church is going to take their money. Because after all, isn't that why ministers exist? Aren't we essentially just kind of like those dodgy used car salesmen that swindle people out of their money? Isn't that why we exist? I I had an elderly man say to me once, you know, and this man wasn't a Christian. He said, you know, if if you want to be a really good minister... You just need to be savvy at deceiving people. And look, I wasn't offended by that. First of all, the man's not a Christian. But for him, he has seen televangelists who do just that, who rob people of their money so that they can fly around in expensive jets and promise health, wealth, and prosperity and deceive people, and particularly in third world nations. But that's, listen, That's not the gospel, okay? That's not biblical Christianity. So my nose wasn't out of joint that the man said this. I'm just as irritated by those people as he is. But in reality, I didn't say to him then, but I actually want to say, well, you know, being a Christian is a heck of a lot more than just a pinch of your paycheck. I hope you understand that. Because for him, he wanted to say, look, you're not going to take my money. And, and I agree with him. I, I, I reason with him. I look at these dodgy televangelists and I go, you know, hide your wallet. Right? But, but what I wanted to say to this guy was, look, Jesus actually demands way more than you just throwing money in a bucket. Jesus, if you're going to follow him, demands your entire life. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will gain it. What is a man if he he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If you follow after God, you are called to give much more than just... 10% 10% of your income. 
You're called to surrender your entire life to him. So let me state this plainly at the very beginning. At the very outset, with with no apologies. Giving is bound up with the very fabric of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not some add-on or some activity for a select group of super-Christians out there. This is basic Christianity 101. And when I say giving, I don't merely imply some tithe you drop in a bucket. I mean all the current resources God has given you right now, today. Be that your time, your energy, your stuff, whatever. The whole lot of it. Because everything that we have, friends, everything that we have belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. All that you have is ultimately God's. It's not yours. Everything that we have belongs to God and we are responsible to steward and to generously share from all that God has given us. So here's the main point. Here's the takeaway. And, and look, I'm actually, I could care less. Look, about the guy, you know, I've, I've been at churches where they try to make, when it's all, we're going to talk about giving, they try to make it palatable for like the non-Christian. If you're not a Christian, why on earth would you want to give money to something you don't even believe in to start with? So if you're here, we don't want your money. Keep it, okay? We want you to be reconciled to God, okay? Keep, keep your cash. But if you are a Christian, if you have stepped over the line, as it were, and given your life to Jesus, if you are born again, if you're a new creation, God's people are to be a giving people. Do you understand? God's people... So I'm speaking to you now, Christians, if you call yourself a Christian. That those of you here, you're just kind of visiting, you're like, just like, you know, you, you have a pass. You, you, so again, this isn't, I'm not going to try to make this feasible for you to say, well, you know, you still could contribute. Like I said, no, 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 just forget it, okay? Just, but listen, listen to what I'm saying. See if you can digest it and process it. But for those of you that call yourself Christians, a lot of hands today, sorry. For those of you that... Those, those of you who call yourself Christians, God's people are to be a giving people. It's as simple as that. Sound good? That's where we're headed. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up the Bible to the Old Testament to start with. And then we're going to look at two principles in the New Testament. So we're going to see that God's people are giving people in both the Old and the New. But before we do, let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then we'll open up to the book of Exodus. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for saving us. Lord, you've you've given us everything that we could ever need because you've saved us. Lord, we do pray for those that are here that have not been saved. Would you help them to understand what it means to get in a right relationship with you? Would you Grant them repentance and faith, we ask, in your sovereign mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, When you open up your Bible to the second book, so if you have your Bible there, if you don't have a Bible, 
when you walk in next week, you can actually walk in and someone, one of the greeters will hand you one. So if you don't have your Bible, if you forgot it, that's all good. Or if you have your smartphone or tablet or whatever, you can follow along. The book of Exodus, I want to show you in the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible um, where we see God's people must be a giving people. Um, the book of Exodus, in case you don't know, uh, most, most people do just from the Charles Heston movie, you know, the Ten Commandments, but, but you know, God's people are slaves in Egypt, and the Lord promises, I'll, I'm going to bring you out, I'm going to glorify my name, and I'm um, takes this guy Moses, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and, and they're right on the brink of it now, okay? So in Exodus 13, that's what I want you to look at, Exodus 13, which is on page number, someone help me, 55? right? Page number 55 in your pew Bible, which I have, we don't have pews, but in your seat Bible, which we don't have the seat holder for it, but anyway, whatever. Exodus 13. Look here, because right out the gates of Egypt, as it were, there is an expectation that God's people give off the top. L- look what I mean. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me, all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. By a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the blah, 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 all the parasites, all the other people, which he swore to give to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. So in other words there, do, do, I, I, hopefully you don't miss it because you're kind of like the Hittites, the parasites, the termites, you know, don't, don't, don't forget all that for a second. God's people are to be marked by the fact that they are redeemed from Egypt. They're to remember it. And every year they're remembering this Passover, they're to give. Did you see that? That's right off the bat. This is initially, right? You you have God calling Abraham. He makes promises, covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph goes down into Egypt, and when God is codifying, solidifying who his people are, his nation, his people, right out the gates of Egypt, they're marked to be a giving type of people. The very first. And and notice there, they're to consecrate or dedicate an offering to the Lord. Mind you, this offering is not some sloppy second, right? It is the firstborn, the best of their stuff. Drop, Drop down, let your eyes drop down to verse 11. Look at verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and he shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that the first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, and, or, if, sorry, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And when, and when in time to come, your son asks, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt 
from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males in the first open. You see, do you see that there? Now the kids are saying, hey, dad, mom, what's going on? Why are you giving this stuff away? That's a fair question. What's going on? That's my kids. Dad, why are we doing this? Well, because God redeemed us and God gave to us. And, and they're not to do whatever they please with the material goods God has given them. A redeemed people are to be a giving people. You see that? The Lord instructs his people to give a portion of their best belongings. And, and did you catch what the kids say there? Hey, what, mom, dad, what's going on? You, you ever heard the term, more is caught than taught? Children will often ask you when they're young, hey, what, what's, what, why are we doing this? Why are we going? I mean, that's just common sense, right? Your kids will see the way in which you steward your time and your money, and that, friend, will speak volumes. Your kids are watching you, or your grandkids are watching you. And if God's people are to be a giving people, it's a whole lot more than just dropping a percentage of your income into a bucket. It's your whole life. And they're watching you. They're watching the way that you act. They're watching the way that you steward your time and your money and your resources and everything that you have. One idea can be, friends, is if you think about this idea of giving. Because some people immediately go, well, look, I don't have very much. True, but I bet you're going to cook dinner tonight. And I bet if you saved and pinched just a little bit in one week from now, you could probably make two lasagnas instead of one, and you could give it to someone in this church who desperately needs it and pray with that person. And guess what? What a chance to have your kids say, I can't make lasagna very well, so I'm actually, this is what April does. You don't want me to make you lasagna, so you throw it back at me. Um, to say, hey, let's, let's cook this because there's someone-so in our church is sick, and we're going to pray for them, and we're going to give this to them. Oh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, and yeah, it's a beautiful day outside, and, and no, you're not going to get to enjoy the next hour of it. You're actually going to sacrifice. You're going to cook this meal with me because we're a part of a church, and we want to give, and God has called his people to be giving people. It's just that simple. Because again, people immediately think, oh, well, you know, I don't have, I don't have much money, and that might be true. But again, like, like, I, like I asked, I bet you you could figure out a way just to simply, and, and look, there are people I know because I, I know sort of like, you know, what's behind the scenes of WCOC, okay? Every pastor and elder here does. And like there are people right now in this church that could really need that. They could really use that right now. And, and it is on you guys. I, I can't be able to one, you know, I can only make so many lasagnas. It's on you guys as a church. I don't say that to guilt you. Just saying like if we're a body, I think it's great that we all come in and give each other hugs. Yay! We're such a friendly church. That's, that's fine. That's great. But like that, that, does, that amounts to a pile of beans if during the week we're not actually sacrificing and giving and serving one another. So let's, let's be on mission together to be praying for each other and to be looking for ways that we can serve each other, to give off the top. God's people are a giving people. 
Now, I want us to look at two principles here in the New Testament. So, so go way to the right in your Bibles um, to the passage we just looked at in Philippians. Here's the two points. Here's the two points. I'll state them and then hopefully you'll see them for yourself in the book of Philippians. Has it been okay so far? It's always kind of funny when there's like, ooh, it's kind of tension, the, the, the money Sunday or whatever. Hopefully you're seeing already that it's much bigger than just the cash. Do you, do you understand that? This is a hard issue, right? And hopefully, and I, I have no intention, it would be a stinking waste of my time to just feel like I, I'm going to come in and um, guilt people. Like, that's, that's a waste of my time. Like, I, I, I'm really wanting to encourage us as a body, as a church, to say, if God has saved you, we're to be giving. So, so hopefully, is it okay so far? Like, it's not like this awkward, weird sort of, it's the giving Sunday. Like, I, I, I actually have intentionally told Dan this, that I want to, um, and conveniently, he's taught it the last t- two times, but um, that I actually just want to put this on the diary, like on the, on the roster of like, oh, yeah, so in six months from now, if you want to jot it down, I'll, we're going to be preaching about giving again. Because it's important that, that we're, we're marked by this. You know? Not that it's like, oh, we got to do this because the budget's down, though it is a little bit. But that's not why we're doing it. I, I care more about what's going on inside and internally and, and, and what's going on in your guys' spiritual development. That, that's, that's, why we're, that's why I'm giving it. So, so hopefully, is, okay, is everything okay so far? I'm not, don't want you to feel sort of whacked or backhanded or, or anything. Like I said, that's just not, it's just, that'd be a waste of everyone's time. So, um, so let me show you. So, so, so two principles here, two principles. Number one, and again, hear this, Christian, okay, Christian. Remember this, this applies to the believers in here. Christian giving begins with contentment, okay? And number two, Christian giving is motivated by the gospel. So, I want you to see those, those two points in Philippians 4. So in Philippians 4, Paul loves this church. He writes to this church in Philippi, just overflowing with thanksgiving because of their partnership in the gospel. Part of that is spiritual, and part of that is honestly just financial. It's just financial support. In fact, I want you to see in, in verse 10, with, with your own eyes here, he says... I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that at length you have, uh, sorry, you have revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What is he talking about? He's not just talking about their prayers. He's not just saying, thank you that at last you wrote me a nice letter. No, he literally, as he's on the mission's frontier, and now he's running from prison, but he, he literally needs funds to do this. It, there, it, do, do, do you get that? It's not that he's like trying to guilt them in this. Some people read it that way, though. It's interesting. He says, no, notice there, you had no opportunity to express it. Do you see that there? Uh, this is an interesting phrase. Some see this as an indirect rebuke for their inconsistency of support. I, I'm not convinced by that. That doesn't match the rest of the letter and his, the warm affection that he has for them. Uh, I think Paul's acknowledging that their heart towards him and their desire to care for him. But he recognized that there were seasons due to circumstance, which we're unaware of, or, or financial strain, 
where they just couldn't help him. But now the opportunity has come again and they jumped on it. But regardless, notice there though, notice if you look at the, the flow of his, of his logic, as it were, he, Paul wants them to know that his joy isn't bound up with the fact that his material, mets, material needs are, are now met. Does that, does that make sense? It's not contingent. It doesn't hang upon. It's not, it's, it doesn't, he's not saying, I wasn't content until, the, until the, the, the funds came in and then now I'm content. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, why does he say this? Why does he want to emphasize that his contentment is not bound up with his financial situation? Even as he's thanking the church for this gift. Do you know what I mean? Like he just thanked them for it, but he's also, he's not being annoying, by the way. He's not being like over-spiritual person talk on a Sunday where it's like, you know, hey, it's a great day. Yes, it is. It's the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, I know that, okay? Just chill out, just making conversation, coming out into the parking lot. Just relax. Or when someone says, you know, in my Bible college, I remember hearing in the hallway, someone says, hey, man, how you doing? And someone says, oh, he's good. No one is good. <laughs> someone slapped that guy, you know? It's like, Really? Chill out. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's not saying, oh, by the way, thank you for the gift, but not that I need that gift because you know, that's not what he's doing. What he is doing, though, is what he's already done in chapter 3. He's saying, look at the way that I view the world. Look at me as an example of how I view finances, giving. He wants to set himself as an example for this church on how to view material things. Right? So, so, so they, they don't seek their ultimate joy, the, this church in Philippi, or their contentment in material circumstances. He says, I, I know what it means to abound, and I know what it means to have nothing. So follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Our sinful hearts are so prone to discontentment. Love for money is one of the most alluring temptations there is. In fact, last year it's reported that Australians lost more than $340 million to scams. And that was just the ones that were reported, mind you. Why? 340 million bucks? Well, many people are legitimately tricked because so many people want more than what they have and are willing to take a risk for it. True confession, I am certainly not immune here. 
I haven't been scammed out of a large quantities of money, but, but I have gone through serious times of struggling to trust God while in a financially difficult situation. And here's just the bottom line. I think everyone could reason with this. Just think about this. If you're not content, if you're not content, it's probably unlikely you're going to want to give. If you're not content, you're probably not going to give because you're going to say, well, I can't give. Well, because why can't you give? Well, because you're not content. See, but Christian giving begins with contentment. Listen, dissatisfaction comes from the heart. We struggle not spending our time, money, and energy to get something new or better. Right? That's just advertisements. Are, we're bombarded by that. But in the process, in the process, the foundation of our generosity is cut off at the root as we live in discontentment. Think about it. The danger of discontentment is not simply for those in need, right? You're, 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 it's leading to anxiety or despair. That could be true. But the danger also includes having an abundance which inclines our heart to hope and trust in our stuff rather than holding it lightly with an open palm and generously. If we're not content, we're going to hold our stuff with a closed palm, tightly, rather than with an open one, knowing that God has given us that to start with. And friend, Paul wants you to know the secret of contentment is your treasuring of Jesus. That's why he says, I can do all things through Christ right after that contentment I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That means he can win footy games, right? That's what that means. It's not what that verse means. It's about contentment. Can't you see the flow? That's what that verse is about. I can do all things through Christ. I can you know, fly off a bridge in a, in a flying squirrel suit or whatever. I can do all things through Christ. I can be brought low and I can have abundance, but all of those things, if I'm if it's up or it's down, it's irrelevant because I treasure Christ for whose sake I have lost all things. But guess what? As he says early in the letter, I consider them rubbish compared to the joy of knowing Jesus and treasuring him and knowing him. The secret of contentment is tr your treasuring of Jesus Christ. To have Jesus is the greatest treasure there is. Other treasures fade. He doesn't. Other fulfillments are fleeting. He lasts. Other things will ultimately disappoint. He does not. To have God Almighty, the most glorious God, is more, who is more powerful than we will ever imagine, who made all the riches that we go after without breaking a sweat, who is love, so much so that he came and died on a cross and carried all of our sins so that we could have him. That is true riches. Do you understand that when, if you're a Christian, when you die and you, you go to heaven, 
who gives a rip about some golden street or whatever if God's not there? You know why heaven is so glorious? Is you get God. Do you understand? You, and, you, and your treasuring now, even if it's just a little glimmer, will be on steroids, as it were. Lack of a better term. Because you get God. That's why the gospel is so amazing. The gospel is, promises us that we have forgiveness of sins. Yes, all true, all true. Only then to gaze upon God himself and be with God forever. It's not, it's not just about... It's not just about us saying, yep, I'm right with God. That is true. And we praise God for that. But we get to enjoy God forever for who he is. Which we only have, let's just give a fraction understanding of how good and glorious God is. A hundred years after being in heaven, because God is so grand and majestic and awesome, because God is unknowable in the fullest sense because he's so majestic and a hundred years and 200 years, you'll still be learning things about him because he's that powerful. Chuck out that dumb idea that you learned in Sunday school that it's just your view of God is this big. God is much bigger than you can ever imagine. And we get God. Our treasuring him is what counts. That's why Christian giving begins with contentment. Our contentment, our satisfaction, our joy in him. And you know, you can nod our heads at this idea of contentment, but this needs to be sought after. Notice Paul says, I learned the secret of being content. Did did you see that there? I learned it. He didn't know it. It doesn't come natural to him. It doesn't come natural to the Apostle Paul. It sure as heck ain't going to come natural to any of us. So if you have to learn it, you have to fight for it. When I lived in Queensland in another country up north of here, I sometimes go surf on the Gold Coast. And if you surf on the Gold Coast, there is an intense sweeping tide that comes in or or current really and you could be surfing at say snapper rock which you don't know where that is it's okay you could be surfing at snapper rock and go all the way through rainbow bay and seriously it feels like you're going to end up at kira point basically picture picture you're at say i don't know south of oka and you can end up at north of oka within honestly a few minutes that's how strong sometimes the rip goes through if you're not careful you just get And you're fine, but you just have to get out and walk back. It's quite annoying. But one of the things that can be somewhat deceiving when it comes to contentment is that we can just assume that this is something that should just wash over us, just something that we just passively experience, but that's not how it works. We are swimming against a heavy current of sinful hearts And if we do not actively and regularly seek contentment in Christ himself, leading to generously and lightly holding to our earthly possessions, we will be swept away by our own sinful desires. Still a Christian, but a stingy one. And it'll either lead us into despair and hopelessness because we don't have enough, or 
into the pursuit of more selfish, earthly things that just pass. Paul said he had to learn contentment. Our contentment comes knowing and treasuring Christ. Are, are you doing that? Are you actively pursuing contentment in Jesus? Are you satisfied in Him? Christian be giving begins with contentment. Last point, Christian giving is motivated by the gospel. Notice in verse 14. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is beautiful here. He says, yet, it was kind of you. Man, this is a real letter written to real people here. You catching that? He says, right, it, it, yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, for, uh, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. A fragrant, look at, listen to the description here. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippians were concerned for the spread of the gospel and for their Christian brother Paul. We should place a high priority on giving so that the gospel can go where it hasn't. Now, I bet you wonder, at this point, he's going to say, that means get your wallets out and get ready. We're going to give to international missions. No, I think that's a good thing. No offense, Lynn and Robin. It is a great thing. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only way we give. It's interesting. Hope I don't lose you here. You guys still with me? Yeah, okay. In Luke 16, Jesus gives one of the most bizarre parables I've ever read. In Luke 16 talks about this steward and how this steward basically is going to, you know, he's been this dodgy steward and he's going he's to get thrown in jail. And then so what he does is he, he, he goes, okay, well, what, what should I do? I'm not going to just run off to, you know, Vegas or I guess Gold Coast for here or whatever it would be and just blow it all. Like I'm going to actually just lessen all of the debts of all the other people so that I can be in good favor with them. And then the guy, his boss basically goes, nice. You basically swindled me. You're like, you, you basically like outdid me. I encourage you, in fact, if you're in a growth group, you're going to read it this week. It is just fascinating. And then if that doesn't already sound confusing, you're like, what on earth? Jesus is telling the parable and then Jesus ends it with like this little punchline. He says this, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. The end. What on earth? What God has given you now is not given simply for your gratification and enjoyment, though that's part of it. All good things are from God. But what we have in this life is given to us temporarily. We are stewards of it, but God is the owner. So we need to use it for his purposes, not ours. Listen, friend, you have a limited time in this world and None of your money, your car, your stocks, your family photos, the, the pleasant view from your house. 
None of that will come with you. But listen, how you use those things now will have consequences then. So friend, I, I can I encourage you to give to the spread of the gospel. Use the stuff, the time, the energy you have to build relationships to share the gospel. Use it to show Christ's love and to have opportunities to share about what he has done. Christian giving is motivated by the gospel. I mean, there's a number of ways in which this can be put into practice. When you buy a house, are you looking at it thinking, hmm, how can I use this to make disciples for Jesus? When you buy your TV or a computer, you need to ask yourself, is this something that will glorify God in my life? And both can be the same. For some, this might look like pursuing a higher paying job with a heart to give more. For others, this might look like taking a bit reduction in pay in order to have more time in your life for making disciples or for going off to Bible college or whatever it might be. It could look like intentionally budgeting for more visitors in your home or keeping money aside to bless your neighbors. Look, I, I understand, you know, this is not like the, the, we're not like the richest church in Australia, okay? Surprise. But that's okay. Like, the gospel, friends. Greatest news in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know, Colin, if you don't mind me embarrassing you, he said last week, he goes, aren't you concerned that you see all these empty chairs? And I trust that God is sovereign, but in a way I am because I gave it some thought. In a way, I am. But don't. this isn't just the drive-by guilting here. I thought, you know, how many non-Christians to just, how, I don't know how many people are in this room, probably 60, 70, I don't know however many of us in here. Doesn't matter. But certainly all of you know, be it a, your mom or your sister or brother, like how often are you praying for them and, and wanting them here and inviting them here to hear the gospel and, how many, are you taking your, your time and your energy, are you pushing towards that? Are you on mission to reach them? There, see, all, yeah, there, see all this whole empty row here? This should be filled with people, but guess the kind of people. Do you, most people, particularly in this country in 2019, they're not going to walk by and go, wow, a church. I ought to go in there. Is that Mackers? I can't tell. It's red. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's, oh, Mackers is over there. Hey, you know, wow, I have so many questions. I remember I, I've been going to the Billy Graham crusade last week, and look, look that was like the 1960s. People are going to walk by and go, what kind of building is that? And those are, there are all, all kinds of presuppositions about who we are as a church. Most people are not going to walk past and go, well, I ought to go check out what's going on in there. That's pretty cool. And then I'm going to hear some bloke talk about giving money. I think I'm going to come back next week. So, right? That's probably not going to happen. It could happen. Hey, you know, God's, God's, God's in the business of miracles. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. You don't need to convince me of that. But these empty chairs right here, friends, could be filled by your friends and your family members, people and your coworkers, it's your job. And, and, and look, you're like, well, I've invited them. They don't come. Okay. 
you could start budgeting now, and I bet you you could have them over for a sausage sizzle at your house. I bet you they'd come to your house. And I bet you, you okay, well, get them there then and say, hey, can I, I just want to just share with you who God is to me. And, and you know, in a postmodern world, they're going to listen. They might say, that's nice for you. But you can say, can, I, can, I, can we just talk about the gospel? Uh, on Josiah's soccer team, they didn't know, they thought that, this is pretty hilarious, they didn't know who I was. I'm this random Yankee guy. And the, the parents thought that I was some lampoon successful business guy, which I, I actually said, I wish, um, <laughs> as I was studying for giving. I was like, that'd be pretty awesome. Um, but, and then they said, oh, we were shocked that you're a minister, um, which, you know, I don't know how to take that. Um, and then we were kind of taking place in bets about like what kind of minister you are, whatever. And uh, this is Josiah's coach. And I was, talk- I was talking to her and I said, oh, I said, well, can, can I, do you mind, can I, can I share with you sort of what I believe? And she said, well, I grew up Lutheran. And I said, that's Martin Luther's the man. Do you, know, do you know who Martin Luther is? Not Martin Luther King, 500 years ago, Martin Luther, Door Church in Wittenberg, 95 Theses, Protestant Reformation, Google it, okay? But I said, she said, oh, yeah, 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 I, I know about that. And I said, see, salvation by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. I said, well, that's, that's what I believe and, and that's, that's what my church believes. And, and can, can I, there's a little book, it's just called What is the Gospel? Can, can, I, can I lend you that? Would you, would you be keen to read it? And she said, oh, yeah, no, totally. She said, I have a lot of questions. And I said, bring your questions. Even if you think this thing's a pile of rubbish, just tell me. But, but I said, but I won't just go, oh, well, okay. I'll, like, I'll say, no, no, defend, your, defend it. Like, if you, if you think it's a pile of rubbish, you tell me why it's a pile of rubbish. And, and I won't be offended. My nose is not a joint. Let's talk about it. So, like, you know, you can pray for her. I'm trying to get her at least to my house with her husband and her kids to have opportunities to share the gospel. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to budget a little bit. I'm going to have to sacrifice a little bit. You know, come that Saturday, to be honest, I'm, you know, when I have them over or whatever, I'm probably not going to want to do that. And, oh, man, we got other things to do. I don't, I, right? My sinful heart is going, ah, three hours. Can, you know, can we just... You know, I guess Australian barbecues are usually an hour and a half because you guys like to just do the food and then send them on their way. So um, no one's done that here. But um, so are you getting the point, what I'm saying? So to answer your question, Colin, yeah, I'm concerned, but I'm not so much like I wish the people walking by right now, walking their dogs, going to three trees, actually three trees is close, I think, or, or going wherever, I wish they would come. But I'm more looking to you guys to reach them with the gospel. Because I, I, there's only so many people that I can, and they're going to have they're going to have their walls up when they oh he's a minister it's part of his job he has to convert me or whatever I can't Dan and I like you know Dan and I are weird enough okay and so yeah speak for yourself yeah that's right so yeah look at these empty chairs right here I want to see people but that's not going to listen if if you're not content and and who God is. If that's not overflowing out of your life, people aren't going to ask why you're different because you're going to look just like everybody else. If you talk like the world, smell like the world, act like the world, you look just, really? Oh, good for you. You're a Christian. You've just, it's just, do you understand how, from their perspective, it's just a nice, safe, sectarian, compartmentalized religion that really doesn't inquire and infringe on your life at all? But if you're actually doing, you look different, 
you talk different, you budget different, people are going to go, you're, what's going on with you? You're, you're not like the rest of us. And you can then say, because God has saved me. And that person comes to know Christ, and we want to see them built up here in this local church, and these chairs filled to overflowing. So to answer your question, brother, yes. Yes, I am concerned, but I'm, I'm pushing it on you guys. Really? So go ahead, is that what you said? Yeah. Do you want to know the worst part of all this, though? when it comes to this idea of giving and budgeting, we'll close with this. The worst part is us. Because as much as we might know this in here, we're going to fail at believing it regularly until the end of our lives. We are going to struggle with dissatisfaction and discontentment until we die. Because we still have a sinful nature. Don't get me wrong. As people of faith, we can grow in this and through God's sanctifying work, as we come to a deeper faith in the truth of who Jesus is, we will come to know more and more that he is better and our lives will reflect that, but there will be times when we fail. But do you want to know the best part of all this? The best part is Jesus. You see, as we fail as stewards. We fail to desire what is best for us. And we listen to the voice of the old ways, as it were, that there is something else out there to fulfill us. But Jesus didn't fail. He stewarded perfectly, used everything he had for the glory of God because he desired only that. He was perfectly faithful in this life. God the Father could never have demanded that Jesus hand in his books because he was entirely undeserving of death and punishment. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said. No one could take his life from him because he was and is God and he was utterly perfect and without flaw. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said. But I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus chose to die. He offered up his perfect stewardship to atone for our faults and flaws and sins. He offered up perfect, unadulterated worship of the Father to atone for the idol worship of our hearts. And not just that, but so that we could have God's Holy Spirit in us teaching us and changing us so that we can finally use what we have been given for the glory of the one who is so much more glorious and satisfying than anything this world has to offer. I pray, friend, that you will see Christ and then savor him. In your reading of, thank you, Sky, for sharing earlier, in your reading of the Bible, in your prayer, in your giving, that you are treasuring Christ and savoring Christ. I pray that that happens. If that doesn't, okay, and we're not seeing, again, I'm pushing it back on you, friends, as a church. Like, the, we're, we're just two steps away from just shutting shop here. Do you understand? 
We really are. Let's be honest. But if you are seeing and savoring Christ and praying for your friends and it's overflowing out of your life, we will be a compelling community shaped by the gospel. That's something I want to be a part of. That's a church I call home. That's a, that, that is a church I want to invite my friends and family to. Well, family when they come in town. Amen? Amen? God's people are a giving people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us so much. You've given us life and breath and everything that we have now, even as we are breathing this, as we're inhaling oxygen, as we're sitting the clothes that we're wearing, the cars that we drove here in, the shoes that we walk in. Lord, all of this is from you. You've given us brains to work. You've given us the abilities to um, think and steward. So help us to be a giving people. Help us to be a people that are satisfied in you, that are content, that treasure you, and that giving overflows out of that satisfaction in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.